love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? This is the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. And Haley, I want to start out with like good news this week. People can probably hear it in my voice that I have a lot of, I'm like bursting. And I ran. I'm back to running. I did Whoa. some running. Yeah. How was it? Because you've been out. You've had a stress fracture since January. And so you have taken several weeks off running. And how did that first run? What was it like? How long? What kind of surface? What did you do? Well, I enlisted the help of my favorite running partner, Ramona, my dog, and she was super pumped to give it a go because my first run back was 20 minutes of um, one minute run, one minute walk. And Ramona actually, she wished that I didn't wait and do my bike in the day first because it actually warmed up quite a bit here yesterday and it was like 65 degrees. And so Ramona was struggling because she's clearly out of practice with the running. (laughs) But, um, you know, it was really fun just to get back to like running again. I don't know. My body remembered how to do it. My leg felt good. Everything felt fine. Um, I just kept it on like a fairly flat, uh, like river path type of place through a park in town. Um, and so no, you know, I didn't want to like go bombing down a hill or anything like that as I tested out how it felt again. And, um, yeah, it was good. And so I don't plan on doing anything crazy. I, I actually did some blood work today with inside tracker again to check how that stats, those stats are doing after, um, you know, we saw I had low vitamin D and iron at the last checkup when I discovered this injury. And so, I, you know, want to get those results back and talk to the doctor tomorrow, actually, before I do anything else and like start building on this as the weeks go by here. But I'm excited because I, I think you always kind of know, like in your gut when you have something like this. And so, um, you know, I feel good. I feel healthy and um, I'm excited for like spring is here and I'm running again. I'm excited for you, too. Were you nervous about that first run back? I mean, did were you worried that it might hurt? Not too much because I have kept in, you know, not a ton of hiking, but I've gone on a couple hikes and I have been doing a lot more like dog walks with Ramona. And so, um, you know, and those have been kind of off trail on surfaces where, so it's not like I'm running, but I've been on my leg enough to know I was never in a boot or anything like that. And so, um, it's, you know, I, there have been a couple times when I've like jumped off of something accidentally and like forgot about it. And, you know, it's been feeling good in recent time. And so, um, I didn't have a lot of nerves going into it. And I was just pretty sure, again, I said this, I think when it happened, but I was pretty sure that in all my miles I've done that my body would remember how it goes. Yeah. And how are you feeling a couple days later? I mean, is it, if everything feels okay? Everything feels good. All systems are go. And so, yeah, I'm just, you know, waiting on those last couple green lights and, uh, you know, coming back from injury, you know, it's not like you flip the switch and boom, I'm running mileage again. Right. So it's going to be probably another six weeks before I'm at a point where I feel like I'm even really, really running miles again. Right. But, um, I'm looking forward to that process and I think that, you know, good things are on the horizon. So, I'm I'm excited. I think it's also probably wasn't a bad thing for me to take a a little bit of time off of running. Um, I have put in a lot of miles in my body over the years, so I'm trying to you know put that positive spin on it and just get excited about like let's see how, if you know we can build back the run faster than it was before. And I think you have more good news too, because I know that's not, I mean, that would be enough to like satisfy me for the week, but this is like good news Thursday and it's going to keep coming, right? What's your second piece of good news? Haley, I am now officially one step further in being vaccinated from COVID. I got my first shot this last week. Woohoo! Congratulations. Um, do you feel do you feel good? How was it? Which shot did you get? And did you have any side effects? 
Well, we don't want to string our listeners out too long because Haley, you have to share your good news too. Oh, okay. So you make me say this. I also got my first COVID <laughs> shot this last weekend and this was not, pla- well, obviously Alyssa and I lived in, live in very different parts of the country. She's in Virginia. I'm in Montana. And uh, this was a surprise when we, we did like mention it to each other before we started recording that we both had gotten our shots in the last week. And, um, very, very excited. Alyssa, I feel like I'll tell you my questions that I asked you, but, um, (laughs) I feel like a cloud has lifted. Like it is, I was so emotional. Like I actually like, (laughs) I did tear up like, and the nurse was like, she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm just so happy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. I definitely felt like I don't think I got, well, I I know I didn't get emotional when I got it, but definitely in the time since, I do feel like there's that, like, no longer that room in the back of my head full of anxiety about the whole thing, right? Like, I, and even though, not to say I still can't get COVID and, you know, I'm still being quite careful and wearing masks and all of those things, but it's like, okay, the light at the end of the tunnel in that sense is like really getting nearer. Right. And so, and we actually went about this like a, well, okay. So your questions, I got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine and, um, I had a very sore, like right at the shot place was quite sore. Actually, it's still like, as I'm pressing on it actually was sore, which, um, you know, I, I feel like getting a flu shot, it's a little bit sore. This is like, it was more sore than a flu shot, but it wasn't too bad. And it, it just felt like a bruise. It wasn't like radiating down my arm or anything. And then I did get like a really bad headache that night. Um, but I woke up the next day and I had, you know, I did a really hard mountain bike and felt physically fine after that. Um, and so again, like who knows, maybe the headache was also just like dehydration and stress from something else. So uh, what about you? What shot did you get? So I got the Moderna and I also have a very sore arm. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) but, and I mean, I was, I was, it was more sore than I expected. And, but I did go swimming today. I got it yesterday and I went swimming today. I did a very easy swim and that seemed to help a lot. And, you know, it was one of those things like the first 100, I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) But then it like by a thousand, a thousand meters in, I actually felt I felt like I was like, that was actually a really smart thing to do the day after and just to like loosen up a bit. So I, and aside from that, I don't think I had any headache or I didn't feel any major side effects. I did prep for this podcast for our interview that we are releasing today last night. And so at post shot, so if, um, if, if it's a little off, you can blame me, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a great interview. We're, it's a great interview. I was like more on like cloud nine. I'm probably extra happy. I'm like, they're extra happy questions this week. And Haley, so we went about, you know, acquiring these in in pretty different ways too, I think. And like you said, we, I'm in Virginia, Haley, you're in Montana, um, here in Virginia, I am, I, I don't meet the eligibility requirements, but, um, I, I definitely had heard that if you are able to volunteer at a vaccination site, sometimes that puts you in line for extras if they have extra doses that they don't want to waste at the end of the day. Right. So I had gone through some training in the last month to be able to sign up for, volunteering at the vaccination clinics and I got a few slots to volunteer over these last um over last week and and this week as well so um I went a couple times to volunteer and I was basically like I think what they called a vaccine greeter so as people came into the clinic for their appointments on those days they got kind of the paperwork and they got you know, the temperature checks and stuff. And then they came over to me or someone else that was there. And we explained to them what was on their clipboard, like the form and the vaccination card and how it would work, that this is the first shot of whatever. And, um, you know, to check their email in two weeks and they'd be getting the thing for the second dose and blah, blah, blah. So I was giving that speech, um, quite a few times last week. And, um, it was, it was definitely fun to, you know, I, I felt like I knew I was hopeful, right, that that could lead to me getting a vaccine. But I also felt like I was someone who, you know, it's not like I had a ton of extra time on my hands. But if I can't like rearrange my life to be able to volunteer and help the community in that way, then, um, you know, I felt like that's kind of why I had I've made my life the way it is. Right. That's why I left the corporate world. And that's why I set myself up for a lifestyle where I can give my time to the things that matter to me. And, you know, helping my community in that way was something that also mattered to me. And but the first time, Haley, I volunteered. So I did that first day 
and there were no extra shots. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm really just elevating that like good thing for the community <laughs> aspect. Um, and I did like I, I thought I would feel more disappointed, but I actually had a lot of fun um, interacting with people again and getting to talk to people. So that did help, you know, the the um, downside of, of not getting it. And then they had a larger clinic run on Saturday and they actually, though, still only had two extra doses. And so myself and um, another woman who had been volunteering there were eligible for those. So they didn't get wasted. So, um, you know, it was, you know, you I went through four hours of volunteering or whatever on Saturday and didn't know if it would what it would result in. And so it's, you know, they are very efficient at the clinic I'm at to really be watching those doses. There are only two left, which is also a good thing. They're all getting used. Wow. Yeah. My story is not as altruistic as yours, but I also do not meet eligibility requirements in Montana yet. They're opening it to everyone over 16 um, on April 1st. So it's soon, but um, I, 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 my county, it seems like it's a little bit, it's hard. It's hard to get a vaccine dose. And so I'd actually heard from someone that if you, you know, sometimes if you call a pharmacy in other counties, if there are extra doses that they will allow you to, um, to get those if you're outside the eligibility requirements. So Sunday morning I called at 10 AM, I called a billing or called a pharmacy that was about two hours away, a little over two hours away. And they said from two thirty to three, if they had extra doses, um, they would give them to, you know, to people outside the eligibility window on like a first come first serve basis. And so I, I had, that was not my plan for the day. I actually had, you know, I hadn't gotten on the bike yet and I was like, oh no, I need to do this ride. And I talked to a couple of my friends and like trusted advisors who are also like medical professionals and just generally, generally intelligent people. And they were like, go get in the car, go. Like if you have this chance, like, otherwise you're just going to be thinking about it. So I did got in the car and I drove two hours and to give a little perspective, like I, this is the furthest I've driven in a year. Like this is the furthest from home that I've been in a year. And even in 2021, the furthest I've driven is three miles <laughs> So from home. I went to the Verizon store. So after I a phone mishap, but so it was like bizarre for me to like be leaving too. And then even just going this far. And then I was so nervous that I was going to have driven that far and, you know, not get a dose. And I like, got myself in there and I like got myself to the line like right at 2:30 <laughs> and um and luckily I was able to get a vaccine. So I was very thankful and and it was one of those things like I think it was a bit of a risk but not that big of a risk and I feel like, you know, f- for me like it was it was a huge weight lifted and I'm so so thankful and you know, I am I I'm still being careful like you said and um but I feel like there's a light, you know, and also if I do, if St. George does happen, you know, in, in May, like hopefully we'll, I've got my second dose even before that. And which was another like thing. It's like, I didn't necessarily want to get the second dose right before the race, you know, one of those things like, um, cause that probably wouldn't lead. I mean, from what I've heard, the second dose can, can lay you out for a little bit. So, um, you know, for the protection standpoint, the health standpoint, and then also just, um, you know, it's just, it's great to hear that there's more and more people that we know. And now us, who are getting vaccinated. And I think that just gives me so much hope. So I'm so happy for you, Alyssa. And I'm, I'm impressed with y'all, you're volunteering. And um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we, you know, more of our listeners are every week are getting vaccinated and just it's, it's, it is a, it's a happy thing. It is. It's such a good, yeah, I was, I was really excited to kind of tune in with you this week and be able to tell you that I had it. And then you said you had news too. And I was like, oh goodness, this is good. So um, it feels good. And like you said, I just, I feel like um, it's becoming more available. People are taking their chances and, um, you know, definitely take the opportunities that are, whether you're making and creating the opportunities, right. Or, um, you know, just through the standard process, um, I hope People are capitalizing on that and taking the opportunities and getting those vaccines so we can get back to a season of hopeful Ironman racing this year. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I know this is a, we like, it is, there's just like, it's like sunshine on this podcast this week. And so hopefully we'll keep it going. I like this. And tomorrow, Haley, there is the Women's Performance Summit is happening. And so if you have not already signed up for the Live Feisty Women's Performance Summit. Um, this is going to be a happy, happy weekend of a lot of great 
kind of content, um, people speaking, um, panels, all sorts of things. It's going to be a really fun weekend. You know, again, not quite in person yet, but it's going to be, it's, I think it's going to be so much fun. It's going to feel like you're in person with a lot of your friends. Yeah, the Women's Performance Summit. Uh, Myrna Valerio is kicking it off with a keynote Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And um, and you can still, like we said, this podcast airs on Thursday. And you can still sign up. Go to womensperformancesummit.com. If by some chance you are listening to this after Thursday, if you're listening to it on Monday, March 29th or later, um, and you're bummed that you missed it, you can um, you can still go up. You can still purchase, they will record the sessions and you can still purchase those to watch online at a later date. So womensperformancesummit.com should be a good time. And so hopefully lots of good information coming out of that. Haley, we have a mailbag question that came in this week. And so just as a reminder, our listeners can send us mailbag questions about racing or training or life or whatever, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we have a really good question that came in from Terry in Michigan. And it's actually a few questions, and these are all good. So we're going to go through them today. Uh, First question is, would we ever wear our um, form swim goggles in a race? Why or why not? Haley, what do you think? So my first thought on this is most races, especially pro races, I'm actually not that concerned with time or, uh, you know, the metrics that, or even distance, the metrics that the form swim goggles do a really good job showing you. I'm more like in the race, like trying to stay on someone's feet or trying to, you know, bridge a gap or get ahead. And so that's more of what my thought is. And it's not as much about the time. It's more about strategy, race strategy and tactics. So in that case, no, I probably wouldn't because I think the display would be a little bit distracting. And also, you know, if you find out a course is long, it just makes you angry kind of, right? <laughs> um, and so sometimes I just don't want to know till afterwards. But um, I can see like if you were, if I was doing a like, time trial race, you know, it was just me or like maybe we we're starting one at a time and it wasn't so much about the tactics and people around me. Yes. In that case, I probably would because it would be beneficial to have even just like the clock there and like kind of know like on the way out, the way back or if it was, you know, if it's an out and back or, or have an idea of distance or pace. I think in that case I would, but in a traditional like mass start race, Probably not. Not with the display on. I might wear them as just like goggles. I agree with everything you said. So I actually have nothing to add onto that question there. Um, Terry's second question, Haley, is that she struggles with getting extra protein in her diet other than shakes and drinks. How do you get more protein? And this is a great question. And I think, you know, a lot of people, once they kind of start to investigate how much protein you need as an athlete that's um, competing or exercising or doing triathlons or whatever, you start to look into it and you're like, whoa, I actually need way more protein than I thought perhaps. And so I I guess I have a few strategies and one of which is that I'm a big meal planner. I do a lot of planning for my week ahead and I do it generally every Sunday. I make a note on my phone and I sit down and I like plan out all the meals, plan out my grocery shopping. I grocery shop on Mondays. I'm like a creature of habit. And so um, and that also, that really always happened, but it got really fine-tuned over the pandemic because I make one grocery trip a week and I don't go back. <laughs> so I have to be really good on the planning. And when I think about what I'm eating through the week, I think through every meal and I think um, protein, carb, veggie. And that's kind of like what I think about. And then I, of course, I add on the desserts to the shopping list at the end. But you know, if you approach each meal thinking about those three things, um, you know, you, you, my guess, you know, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but my guess is that you would end up with a good balance of, um, what you need and how much protein you need. So, you know, I'm thinking of, it depends a lot on things you like, like eggs are really easy. I eat eggs at all times of day. Um, as a snack, you know, it's really easy to fry an egg and put it on some toast and eat that for some extra protein. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of, I do eat meat, I do eat a lot of tofu, I eat a lot of garbanzo beans. Um, and I'm always like, whenever someone else, another athlete puts out a cookbook, I generally get it because I find, you know, tons of good recipes in there and learning from other athletes, I guess, about how they're getting, you know, protein sources. So there are those cookbooks like 
most recently, I've just been doing a lot of things from Emma Coburn's The Runner's Kitchen, um, and that has a lot of good options as well. And then I do I do a lot of shakes and simple shakes, water. Um, I do the Prevenex protein, and then I, you know, my big thing has been a scoop of the Prevenex protein and a scoop of the Noon Recovery, and um, I you have that, them. you know. I you mix, mix them, them together. So, wow. Yes. So Haley, if people are very taste sensitive, you know, you might not like the flavor that's created by mixing the protein powder with the um, the noon flavors for the recovery. But um, I like it. And I, I actually think the flavor that's created is pretty good when I do like the vanilla. And then I think it's like the lemonade flavor of the recovery. Um is and it just so, like a creamier version? Is that what it kind of, it would? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, what I like is that, I guess in the dead of summer, I probably wouldn't leave it in my car to sip, but like I can just leave it in my car while I go in and swim and then it's there for like after my swim. I guess you, I could take it in with me, but it's just for whatever reason I leave it in my car, but it's just very easy. Like I, I can even leave it in the car when I go for, you know, yesterday and I did, we were gone for like three or four hours on our mountain bikes and it was in the car for after the, the um, ride kind of thing. So it is easy to do shakes um, if you can do, you don't have to do a lot of them, but I do find them to be a good way to get in protein. But Haley, I just rambled on. And before I forget, I do want to remind our listeners that Prevenex and Noon Hydration are both podcast sponsors. And again, really good ways to get protein with that Prevenex protein powder. It's in the servings of that. It's actually 20 grams of vegan protein. So um, if you want to try that, you can get 15% off your first Prevenex order at Prevenex.com with the code IRONWOMEN. And of course, noon hydration is the code live feisty and that will get you 30% off your order at noonlife.com. And that is interesting because that Prevenex Neurify, it's, it is, it has calories. It's meant to be more calorie dense versus the noon recovery is lower calorie, like branch chain amino acids. And so I can see where mixing those two kind of gets you the best of you know, big punch of protein. That's like an ultimate shake. I might have to try that. I have not tried that. And, um, but this is not a podcast sponsor, but I just thought of this, like one of my athletes got me hooked on the picky bars granola, which is like, you know, we all love, we love Jesse Thomas, Lauren Fleshman, Stephanie Bruce. And, um, so if you, if you're not familiar, they have a granola product and it has like a lot of nuts and just good stuff in it. I don't know exactly, but, um, And then, so you have like, I put it in yogurt and I feel like that's like a pretty high protein snack. And if you're at the trainer, you can eat it while you're on the trainer. But I was like thinking about like ride foods too. Like, I mean, think about that too. I mean, like a peanut butter sandwich gets you like some good carbs and some protein and you could eat that like out on the bike if you are out there. Um, or if you're on a very, very long run and you can handle a peanut butter sandwich or if you, I mean, are doing a very, very long swim and you could just like put it on the side of the pool. (laughs) What if I took a yogurt break at the pool? Do you think they'd they'd be up for that? Haley, one of the things that I do in Emma's cookbook a lot is I blend together peanut butter, maple syrup, and chickpeas, like a can of garbanzo beans, of chickpeas. wow. And you put that in the blender and it creates like a, basically a dough, like a peanut buttery dough. And then you can add, I'm... You add something else. I'm going to leave a suspenseful. I feel bad giving away like the recipe essentially. And Go get the book. It's a good book and you can uh, make a bunch of recipes. But um, you can add some things to them and then you can make a little ball like you have a little protein energy ball. So that's a good thing too. Um, But I never would have blended like garbanzo beans. Um, But that might be a little bit – I guess it's probably about the same to carry like an energy ball and a peanut butter sandwich at the end of the day if you're exercising. Yeah, but um, there are some ideas. So great question. Thank you for for that. And the last question Terry had is if I, Alyssa, would ever consider doing the Barkley Marathons – Thank you, Terry, for your big vote of confidence because you say if you think you say that you think if any woman could finish it, I could. And I really appreciate that you saying that. And I actually have um, gone down the road of investigating how to get into the Barkley Marathons. Um, I've actually been on the wait list. And so, you know, I'm, I'm slowly trying to navigate my way into that race. But as we all know, um, it's not the easiest one to get into. So, um, Terry, I agree I that I could finish it. And I would love to get that opportunity to try one day. But uh, we're all going to have to sit tight because it's uh, it clearly didn't happen this past year when the race happened a couple weeks ago or last weekend. So, um, you know, you never know. So yeah, we'll, and we'll keep seeing how future years go. 
I'm kind of glad you weren't in it this year. How terrible it would have been if you got in and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go. But then you had the stress fracture. I know. <laughs> That would have been, yeah, that would have been tough. Yeah, that would have been And the weather, like they had a terrible weather weekend. It was like that terrible storm was going through the Southeast with tornadoes yeah. and everything. Zero finishers this past weekend. So um, if there was a year to miss, it seems like this was it. So we'll exactly. cross our fingers in the future. It wasn't meant to be. And Haley, we do have a guest for this week and it is a returning guest which I love I love them you know um last week we talked to Jackie Herring and um Julie Walker they were returning guests and we have another returning guest this week Paula Finley um you can go back to season 10 episode 6 to hear our previous chat in 2019 with Paula if you want to hear more about her background all the races she's won up to this point um but Paula comes to us this week talking about her most recent races, which include a huge win at Challenge Daytona last December, um, and then kind of what she's been up to, her off-season after that, and everything that's been going on leading up to her race this last week at Challenge Miami, where she was seventh. And so really good to catch up with Paula and hear all of the things that she has going on, and we'll hear from her after a word from our sponsors next. Haley, I've been doing some research on winter adventures and hiking, and guess what one of the most important gear pieces is for winter hiking? Hmm, a really warm coat, snowshoes, an ice axe? Okay, well, maybe those, but also sunscreen. It's not just a summer product, and that is why my Zelios Sun Barrier is still at the top of my pack. Thanks for the tip, Alyssa. If any of our listeners want to top off their hiking packs with Zilio's Sun Barrier or their gym bags with Zilio's Race Relief Recovery Gel, Swim and Sport Shower Products, or Betwixt Anti-Chafe Chammy Cream, use code IRONWOMEN for 20% off at teamzilios.com. Alyssa, I know I go on and on about your fastest known times on 100 and 200 mile courses, but just last month you talked about running 35 second 200s on the track. That's sub five minute mile pace. How do you transition so well between super endurance and super speed training? Well, Haley, one of my top priorities is taking really good care of my body before, during, and after every run. This year I started using Prevenex Joint Health Plus, and I've definitely felt a direct benefit to my training. The active ingredients in Joint Health Plus are clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness. Less joint pain means faster run splits and better recovery for tomorrow's run. You don't have to run as far or as fast as Alyssa to benefit from Prevenex's Joint Health Plus. And in just 7 to 10 days of using Joint Health Plus, you should notice a difference. If by chance you don't feel any benefits, Prevenex offers a 100% refund, no questions asked. Everyone wants to feel good when they swim, bike, run, or even walk. Alyssa and I both highly recommend you head to Prevenix.com and use the code IRONWOMEN15 and get 15% off your first order. Again, that website is Prevenix, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and discount code IRONWOMEN15. Hi, Paula. Welcome back to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. Nice to be back. (laughs) We're talking to you just a little more than a week after Challenge Miami, which was your first race since your huge $100,000 payday and win at the PTO Championships in Daytona last December. Did you feel like you had a bullseye on your back going into Miami coming off of that huge win? Um, I guess a little bit, but I was also really trying not to put too much pressure on myself since I knew I wasn't as fit as I was in Daytona and there were a lot of big life changes that we made like very soon before going to Miami, we moved houses and there was just so much going on. So I think I was a bit of a target. Like people were, I don't know. I tried not to like look at predictions and all of that. And honestly, I think Miami got a little bit blown out of proportion because it was like the first race of the year. I was hoping it would be more low key and kind of like a gentle introduction to racing in 2021, but it was kind of, you know, a big deal. So it felt like a big deal anyway. So yeah, I, I felt a little bit of a target, but I also tried to kind of like disperse the pressure a bit and tell myself that it didn't really matter how I did the first race of the year. Yeah. I think your outlook is like standard for how we would normally be approaching the season. Right. But since there just hadn't been races, I think 
that Challenge Miami seemed to be anything but a gentle introduction <laughs> to yeah. um, the, the 2021 season. And we have to ask, because be, before Miami, your airline lost your luggage, but you did end up getting it just before yeah. race day. And we think before Daytona, your partner, fellow pro Eric Lagerstrom, realized his passport was expired just as you were about to leave Canada to travel to the race. So yeah. you both made it to the race, but how do you guys stay focused on the race when you're having little hiccups along the way in those days before? I think we can all kind of relate to those. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very different. I, I obviously cared a lot about Eric's passport, but it's different when it's like me versus Eric having something lost or go wrong. Um, with I was in like such a different mindset going into Daytona. Um, deep down, I think I knew I could podium or I knew I was fit enough to do really well. So I tried to really not let that distract me. And I knew we could figure it out eventually. I wasn't too stressed about if we had to stay a bit longer in Miami to sort of, or in Daytona to sort the passport issue out. I knew it would get fixed. So that really didn't stress me out too much. Um, the luggage was stressful on the day, but I was, again, in like such a different mindset in Miami. I honestly didn't really want to be there. I wasn't excited about going. I was on the airplane just kind of dreading it. And so that was like a bad mentality from the start to go into a race with. And so as soon as my luggage was lost, I just like kind of broke down a bit and <laughs> had a bit of a meltdown, but it wasn't a big deal. I knew it would come eventually. Um, but it was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back with all these things piling up on each other and then not really being excited to race because I didn't feel like I was going to win. I didn't feel fit. So uh, yeah, it, it is really difficult when stuff goes wrong, but I think what that showed was you can race really well, even when stuff goes badly or you could race badly. And it really just depends on like your mindset and um, your, yeah, if you're positive and able to kind of like push that stuff to the side and uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel and know that everything's going to work out. So yeah, two very different examples and they both turned out very differently. And this mindset of traveling to a race and being on a starting line and not wanting to be there, not feeling like you're at your best. You've been an athlete, an elite athlete for a very long time. How do you, how do you still get yourself to start in moments like that? And do you have any like tips or tricks that you use? Yeah, I, I mean, I say I didn't really want to be there, but I, I ultimately do want to race. And like, I also thought maybe I could win the race. Like I did have some really good sessions and I haven't been injured and um, carried a little bit of momentum from 2020 into 2021. So I wasn't in horrible shape. I think I was just not in a very super competitive mindset. And like I said, we've been super busy leading into that race. Whereas in Daytona, we were kind of like locked down in the house and didn't have any other commitments aside from training. So that makes a big difference. Um, another thing about Miami is it was extremely windy and I am pretty nervous in crosswinds and stuff on my TT bike. So the conditions themselves kind of like made me forget about the fact that it was a race and just like survival mode trying to get through the bike ride instead of trying to win so I think there were just like so many little factors with that race that um didn't lead up to or uh, didn't allow for like an optimal <laughs> performance it was really hot it was humid and I had been training in the cold so yeah just little things like that um but at the end of the day, we were there. We'd committed to going. We got our dog a dog sitter for a week. So I was going to give it my all no matter what. Um, and Eric was feeling really good, which I was another, you know, good reason for going was he felt like he could have a good performance. So um, you really never know till you start how things are going to go. In some ways, don't do you feel like the like things going wrong, like lost luggage and, you know, the course conditions being tricky and things like that? Do you ever look at it as t just taking some of the pressure off in the sense of like, okay, it's not going to be this most fast course because it's technical and it's, you know, windy and things <laughs> like that. And like my luggage is lost. Like what now? You know, like, yeah, in a way, I, I feel like it could just take pressure off. Yeah, I try not to like lower my own expectations or like look for excuses to not perform well. Um, but at the end of the day, they do impact a little bit how how you're going to race and how you approach the race and mindset is so big in these things. Cause like everyone's training hard, everyone it's March for everybody, you know, no one's probably in their peak condition. So a lot of it comes down to just your attitude and if you're excited to be there. And um, I had no idea what to expect. A lot of the girls I was racing hadn't raced in over a year. So um, for that reason as well, I kind of had a target I'd race recently and done well. So um yeah, everyone was kind of like, no one knew what to expect out of Lucy or, or some of the other women that um, had been out for a long time. 
And we've touched on now the conditions a little bit and, you know, the different courses and those kinds of conditions can make a big difference for the race. And right after the race last week, we talked to fellow pro Jackie Herring, and she said that there was a lot of chatter amongst the pro women um, about the course and the tight turns and the technical conditions out there. So were you at all, you know, you said you were intimidated by kind of the wind. What about just the technical aspect of, um, you know, I don't know how much you had been able to get outside on your TT bike, even at all to practice tight turns or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I'd been training exclusively on the trainer on my TT bike. I took my road bike out a little bit, but it's a, it is winter where we're living. So, um, yeah, I was, I prefer a course like Daytona where it's like no turns. You just put your head down and go hard. That's a lot more similar to the trainer. This was very dynamic. A lot of like spikes in power when you look at your file after because of all the turns and hairpin turns, getting out of the bars, getting back in the bars. And I'm not um, the best technical rider on a TT bike. And I think a lot of women say that about themselves, like, you know, good at going hard, but not necessarily good at at cornering and being really nimble on a TT bike. But I actually um, found myself at one point in the race, the lap was, the course was super short. So I actually was Uh, finishing my first lap as Heather was getting on her bike, Heather Jackson. And I know she's super good at technical stuff. I train with her a lot in Tucson. She descends Mount Lemmon like right on Eric's wheel. So I knew if I could stay within eyesight of her, then I'd be riding fairly well just because of the technical nature. So she rode around the corners super fast and um, I'd get a little dropped and then I'd put a bit of power down to sort of bridge back up on the straight. So having her in front of me as sort of a carrot and to keep me accountable and not give up. And, you know, um, not that I was ever like in her draft zone, but just like having her up the road was super helpful. So um, we weren't like totally racing each other, but it was like, uh, yeah, nice to have her there and we're good friends. So um, it felt a little bit familiar, but yeah, the course was nothing like Daytona, even though it was a NASCAR track, it was completely different kind of riding. And you called Miami a, a tough day, but you mm-hmm. finished seventh. You were ahead of recent Kona podium finishers like Sarah Crowley and Heather Jackson, who you just mentioned. So are you able to kind of step back and appreciate that your quote unquote bad day is still pretty good? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I mean, I thought about that after the race. Like, I don't mean any disrespect to people I finished in front of. And I do think that like Sarah Crowley and Heather Jackson also would have considered them, their race is not like the best they that they would have hoped for. Like, I think all of us wanted to do better. Um, and parts of my race were really good. I think my swim was, was decent and all things considered my bike split was fine. Um, but I think more than anything, it was how I felt on the run. It was just a very not fun experience. I was, um, just felt like, I mean, I was walking the aid stations. I was super dehydrated and humid. It was humid and hot. So it wasn't even like the result itself on paper, like coming seventh. Um, that was fine. It was more just the way the race felt, how I kind of executed things and um, wasn't fully ready for that kind of like weather and stuff like that. So um, yeah, not so much about the position, but stepping back, um, there were things I did do well. So it wasn't all bad. <laughs> and we've talked a bit about how you approach the mindset and try and turn things around going into the race. If you're not super psyched to be kind of, you know, getting there for race day. What about in the middle of the race when you're walking the aid stations or, you know, on the bike and realizing it might not be like a Daytona day, right? Um, how do you approach that kind of situation? Is there anything that you do mentally to stay focused? Um, well, on the on the run, when I was feeling how I was feeling, it wasn't even about being competitive anymore. I was honestly like dizzy. So I was just like making sure I was like physically okay to finish the race and walking the A stations a bit and cooling myself off. I felt better. So I didn't want to like risk hurting myself or like, you know, doing something dangerous by pushing through extreme heat. Um, but doing some like self tracks, I thought I would be okay to finish. And I never want to drop out of a race unless something's seriously wrong. Like I'm actually injured or, or I am like passing out or something. So although it crossed my mind several times to stop, cause I was having such a awful time. Um, I, I know it's more important to finish. And at the end of the day, I'll, I'll regret not finishing more than I would finishing and coming last. Um, so that's sort of what I tell myself is it's always going to be worth it. It's only 40 more minutes. You've done a 10 K run, like so many times in your life, like you can do it. So just thinking back on training sessions and I was kind of running like just easy run pace for a lot of it. So, 
Um, I often like reflect back on training sessions I've done that have felt harder that, you know, pushes me through because I know I can finish um, those so I can finish the race. And that's sort of what it came down to, unfortunately, in Miami was just getting to the end instead of like racing for a certain position. And we want to back up a bit because we do want to talk about your huge win in Daytona. On Instagram, you compared it to your 2010 ITU World Championship Series win in London, and you called it the two best races of your life. Can you tell us about that comparison? Yeah, they were obviously like a very long time apart, like over 10 years apart. And I think they were both similar in that I wasn't expecting myself to win and no one really expected me to win. So the result was a surprise. Um, although I had been training super well into both of them. So I think it kind of just confirms that consistency and being not injured, I can have good races. And I think a lot of the time in between those two races, I'd approached, I'd gone into races with an injury lingering or fresh off of an injury where I just got back into running and I'd raced okay. Like I could get by, I could finish on the podium at some 70.3s, but I would never, I'd never been like really, really confident that I could um, fight for a win. So that was kind of the similarity of those two races was going into the, with the attitude of like, oh, okay, I don't expect myself to win, but anything's possible. And I definitely could win. And that's how it, how it turned out. So yeah, they, it, it's crazy after you win a big race like that, like the amount of attention you get and the confidence that you gain from it. And I think, although I was at very different times in my lives, the, the post effect of racing well like that was very similar. So yeah, it was pretty cool. (laughs) And after Daytona, it seemed kind of like you alluded to that your life went into overdrive and you celebrated the win. You picked up a few new sponsors. You were buying a house. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the off season was like for you other than just being super busy with a ton going on? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the buying the house in Bend was not anything really to do with the Daytona race. We didn't buy it because I had made money from the race or anything. It's been like a goal of ours for a long time, and it actually is more due to the success of of that triathlon life or little brand that we have. Um, so that was really cool. When that opportunity came up, we jumped on it right away. And, you know, it, when a house comes on the market and, you're, and we wanted to make this move so badly, we didn't really have much control over the timing. Like it would have been more optimal to move back in like January or something, but it ended up, ended up being in March. So we were like a little close to Miami um, for our liking, but yeah, it was it was busy, but it was good. I also I I sort of felt so, so confident after that race that I was able to take a bit of a step back and um, take some time off training. And a lot of the time, when you finish the season on not so good of a note, it's really hard to take a rest. I just feel like I need to like keep training and keep pushing forward and keep improving to be ready for next season. But after a good race, I sort of like felt like I wanted to take a break and felt confident doing that because whatever I'd been doing in 2020 worked. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm trying not to like think about what I did before Daytona and try to say to myself that I have to replicate every single aspect. That's the only way I can win. Um, cause there were so many variables last year that were different than a normal year. So it'll be impossible to replicate to a T, but I think I learned a lot about myself last year and, um, racing well at the end of a year like that. Um, taught me a lot of lessons that I can like carry into this year, hopefully. So yeah, I don't know. It was a good off season, but it went by fast. (laughs) And it seems like Bend is kind of one of those places that's booming a little bit, at least in our little triathlon bubble. Right. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us our listeners and kind of, I've never been to Bend, but I know one of my good friends, Emily Cox just recently moved there. Uh, I guess it's probably not recent anymore, but, um, you know, and I hear a lot of good things coming out of there. So but, you know, you do have to kind of embrace winter, like you're saying, right? So what is it yeah. about Ben? Do you think that's making it a special place for athletes? Yeah, I growing up in Canada, I like winter. I think that it is sort of healthy to have this season where you can't train and push super, super hard all year because the weather's perfect. Um, I kind of thrive off of training indoors, too. Like, I really like riding the trainer. But the thing that's nice about Ben versus Canada is you have the option to ride outside, like we did a four hour ride outside yesterday in in March. So as soon as the afternoon hits and the sun comes out and the roads dry, you can ride outside if you bundle up. So that's important for Eric because he doesn't like riding the trainer. So yeah, although it's cold in the winter, I think 
it is still very possible to train year round here if you want to, maybe with a couple warm weather camps in Tucson, but you don't feel forced to sort of relocate for the entire winter because it's such a harsh climate. It's like, it's very mild compared to the winters I'm used to from Canada. Um, and the biggest thing about Bend is like the options for training, like we're a kilometer from endless trails, soft surface for running, which is important for me being kind of injury prone is I don't like running on concrete. So that's important. The riding's really good. The swimming pool is amazing. And then the other big thing is we just know a lot of people here and have a good network of friends and people that we can train with. And we didn't really have that where we used to live in Portland. So it makes a big difference just to like overall happiness and, <laughs> you know, getting more out of yourself in sessions when you have people you can link up with occasionally. Um, yeah, that's why we love it. It's, it's um, definitely getting busier, but um, we're both from like big cities that are busy. So it doesn't really feel busy to us. Like we're, we don't mind the five minute commute to the pool, <laughs> even if it used to take two minutes, you know, it's never actually that busy here. <laughs> And tell us, can you tell us a little bit about the new sponsors? I know you're on our new, new for now bike sponsor, but specialized, which you were with before. Mm -hmm. Like, how yeah. has that been? Because I think people get curious about how, you know, how that works when a new, when an athlete gets a new bike, is everything set up for you? But I don't think that was the case. I think you were still trying to figure things out leading into Miami. Yeah, it's it's been a process with the, with the, S, with the Shiv. Um, anytime you switch a TT bike, I think there's going to be some differences and the front end of the shiv is totally different than the speed concept. So I know the speed concept worked for me really well. I raced fast on it in Daytona. And so I didn't want to change too much. We tried to replicate the position as best we could, but there's some limitations with like the tilt on the shiv and stuff. So um, I'm actually going to the wind tunnel next week, which is a amazing resource that Specialized has is being able to go and get fit in the tunnel and get fit with, um, with a retool and everything so that I can be more optimized. Cause as it stands, I'm not super comfortable on that bike. And part of it's my own fault. Cause I haven't ridden it outside very often. And on the trainer, it feels fine, but then take it to like a real world, world situation. And it's hard for me to like hold the position and my head isn't great. So it's a work in progress, but the bike itself is amazing. I felt super nervous going into Miami because of the wind, but actually the ship was like so stable in the wind compared to what I used to ride. So I think the bike is amazing. It just um, is a matter of getting it fit completely perfectly for me. And that's always going to be a little tricky with TT bikes. And I think people are constantly evolving their TT positions. So it's nothing new to have to work on it a bit, but um, yeah, just with a new, completely new frame and completely new front end, it's uh I'm more, I'll be confident after we go and get like a proper fit and wind tunnel test next week, I guess. Have you been to the wind tunnel before? Yeah, I've been twice. I think twice back in like 2010, 2011, but I was racing ITU. I was on a road bike. It's a little bit less. I mean, there are aerodynamic factors on road bikes as well, but it's not as important in ITU racing as it is in um, 70.3 and Ironman, obviously. So I think I'll it was important for me to go there and get a fit last time, but I think I'll get a lot more out of it from an aerodynamic standpoint this time on the shiv versus on the road bike I was on last time. And we mentioned your new home in Bend, but you are known for also having living kind of a van life. And it looks mm -hmm. like you haven't totally abandoned that because you and Eric and your dog Finn recently road trip to Tucson, Arizona for a training camp. So how does training out of the van compare to training from home? Um, well, we've never actually like lived in the van or stayed in the van for longer than a couple nights. <laughs> I know social media makes that look like we live in it, but, um, we use it more as like a mobile garage kind of to get to camps. And then once we're there, we have like five bike racks in it so we can store our bikes there with no worry of them getting stolen and, you know, take all of our gear with us no matter where we're headed. So we stayed with Heather and Wadi when we were in Tucson, but we were able to bring basically everything we needed for training. So that's what's so awesome about the van is we're not trying to cram everything into a car. It's like a moving or moving house. And before we had the place in Bend, it felt even more like that. Like all of our stuff was in there that we loved and could take anywhere. And Flynn loves the van as well. So we can leave him in there while we go train if it's not too hot and he's super happy in it. So yeah, it's been fun and we won't get rid of it, even though we now have a bit more stable of a home base. Um, it's still a really awesome and important part of our lives as triathletes. We always prefer to drive to a race than fly if it's in reasonable distance. So 
um, yeah, we'll, we'll for sure keep it and continue to kind of upgrade it as we, (laughs) as time goes on. And how was it having your dog with you while you were training in Arizona? Since I know sometimes it seems like you, he, he does stay with someone else, but you brought him with you. How was that? Yeah. The only time he stayed not with us as well. We were in Daytona. He was with my parents for three weeks, which was a nice break for us. But having Flynn in Tucson is not fun compared to Bend. It's just, um, he doesn't do well in the heat and, and the cactuses. Like he didn't fully understand that he can't like run through cactus and he would get like pricks in his nose and stuff. But he's really fun. Like I think I've gotten a lot of positives out of having a dog. Um, he requires a ton of my attention and a lot of extra, you know, time walking him and taking him for runs and stuff. But overall he brings like happiness to our lives. <laughs> so I really like having him. He's a lot at times, which sometimes I want to just like, you know, take him to daycare for the day, but our new house in Bend has a fenced yard. So that's been a lifesaver for us. The first time we've ever had that, we can just let him up the back for a few hours and he can play there. <laughs> so, so that's really good. But, um, yeah, he certainly adds a layer of complication to like traveling to races and stuff, but kind of worth it. <laughs> and Paul, I think I caught a couple weeks of the last round of the Zwift Pro Racing when you were actually in in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you got to actually like race Heather side by side. Um, yeah. One of the the weeks the week I saw actually, I think you guys had so much power going during the whole episode that like you lost, you like blew a fuse for the the house itself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but how was that? Like, did it, do you feel like it changed the dynamic of your Zwift racing to have someone actually racing as well next to you, even though it's still virtual? Yeah, it definitely helped me enjoy it more. (laughs) Like when I did it in November, I was actually racing way better. Like I was in better shape and I was winning some of the stages, but I was alone in my garage in Canmore and it just felt a lot different having Heather beside me and Wadi in the garage and Eric in the garage and the cameras. And it felt like more of a thing. And um, it didn't necessarily help me from like, oh, I really want to beat Heather. Like, I think we're very, we're such good friends that we don't care who beats who. And we approached the Zwift races as really good workouts. Uh, We knew we probably weren't going to win the series or anything, but um yeah, having her beside me was definitely good. And I, I trained with her a lot in Tucson while we were there. So it kind of felt very familiar to have her there, even though we were like doing a Zwift race, it just felt like another training session. And we wanted to ask a little bit about the social media side of things, because I think we can call you a legitimate triathlon influencer. You have more than 50,000 Instagram followers and close to that number of su- subscribers on YouTube as well. And you even have that triathlon life, which you mentioned a little bit about um, merchandise available available for purchase at thattriathlonlife.com. So can you tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes idea of how much work goes into like what we see on social media and just that side of, of things and how it's all produced from your end? Yeah, I there's like kind of becoming a more vague line between like triathlete and influencer, which I don't really like. Like Eric and I still very much identify as like athletes and we want to go and win races more than anything. But increasingly more, the social media side is becoming important for sponsors and staying relevant and like making this a career. It's kind of just part of the job now. Um, we obviously do it to like a way higher extent than most athletes with the vlog that we put out every week. Um, the Instagram itself is not a ton of work. We really enjoy taking pictures. Eric brings the camera a lot of the time, and I like sort of editing them and being creative that way. So the Instagram following just naturally kind of grows with race results, I find. Like anytime I race well, I'll get a big boost in following. So it's not like I'm going and intentionally trying to increase my Instagram following or anything. It's it's sort of been a natural climb over the years as my results have improved. Um, and as TTL has become more popular. This vlog that we put out every Sunday was basically like a part-time or a full-time job that we try to do alongside training. (laughs) Like Eric puts so much time into editing that every week and filming it. And he does the bulk of the work. I'm not very good with the camera and I don't know how to edit video. So it's mostly Eric. Although I try to help as much as I can with sort of picking the music and coming up with ideas for the week. Um, it's, it is a lot of work. And last year it worked because we weren't racing and we did have a lot of time to, you know, train a little bit less and put a little more focus on the videos. 
Um, but it helped us a lot last year to sort of have this regularity and know that every Sunday we were being held accountable by this, all of our followers to put a video at every, every Sunday. So we still almost feel that pressure. Like people are expecting it Sunday at 8am. That's when we put out a new video. So we haven't missed a single week in like a year and a half, which is insane. Um, but it's been really good for us. Like we've made more money with TTL than either of us have in triathlon over the last five years. So it's, we don't do it for the money, but the return and sort of investment of time that we put into the videos has paid off in what's become of it, I guess, with, with the brand attached to it. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. And neither of us expected it to be this successful. And do you have a favorite piece of TTL merchandise that people can head there to check out? <laughs> yeah, the unfortunate thing is like we sell out so quickly and we keep ordering like double the amounts and still selling out. So we're still trying to find that kind of balance of how much to order so we don't have too much in inventory. But it, like people surprise us every time, like repeat customers coming to buy new things. And it's really almost hard to keep up we need to like hire someone to come on and manage that side of things because we're the ones sort of designing the clothing ordering it um, and then we have a warehouse that produces it and ships it so it's it is really like a mini little business and so I can recommend things but I think they're most of the most of the stuff's currently sold out we're getting a new round of things in a couple of weeks um, but yeah check it out there's always like hats and stock and stuff and I think what people like about it is they can relate to us. Like we're very honest in our videos about the ups and downs and the day to day of triathlon. And it's not all about swim, bike, run. It's like the life of triathlon and everything else that encompasses that. So last week's vlog, for example, we hardly did any swim, bike, run. It was like doing garage stuff and, you know, getting the house set up. So um, I think it's relatable to people and it's not linked to our names. It's not like the Eric and Paula show. It's, it has its kind of standalone brand. Um, we've worked really hard with um, our friend Ralph to design the logo and just um, a lot of things have like gone right to make it a successful thing. So um, yeah, we would love anyone. You don't have to go buy a thing, but watch the video. And if you like it, then uh, watch more. <laughs> Especially if you like cappuccinos. Yeah, we're pretty big coffee people. We actually see Eric he's bringing on like more and more projects because he comes up with ideas and I'm like there's too much going on just no we can't do that but the latest thing was this coffee project so every month we ship a TTL um, coffee subscription out to people and when we choose a different roaster every two months so you'll get a bag of coffee on the first of every month and then we rotate through um, different companies that or different coffee shops to work with so yeah, it's, that's like another big project we're currently doing, but people, it's been, been more successful than we thought it would be. So we're going to keep it rolling. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Paula, you said your next race is St. George 70.3 on May 1st, which is hopefully also the location for this year's 70.3 World Championships scheduled for this fall. You've had great success on the course in St. George. So do you have any tips for our listeners who might also be planning to race in St. George or cheer in St. George either in May or September or both? Yeah, St. George is a really like strength-based course. It's not super fast, but it's very hilly. It's sometimes windy on the bike. But the run in particular, I feel like you're always either going up a hill or down a hill. There's almost no flat. Even if it's just like a false flat, you're always kind of either climbing or, or going downhill. And the first four or five K are literally all uphill. Like it feels horrible when you get off the bike. But um, my advice would be to like, do that a little bit in your training so that you're used to, you know, using those muscles and remember that everyone's in the same boat. Like everyone feels like they're running through molasses for the first 4k going up those steep hills, but you get to go down them at the finish. So that's something to keep in mind. The finish always feels really good. Um, the last like 20 minutes of the race, cause you're kind of going down that hill that you'd climbed up. Um, snow Canyon's really fun. So the bike is hilly, but not super technical, which I really like about it because I love climbing, but I'm not the best technical descender. So there's a big climb, but then the descent is basically just like a straight shot back into town. So that suits me really well. Um, I don't ever remember me the temperature being crazy. I think it's been fairly mild, little cold in the mornings. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a super fun course. I think it's very interesting. I think it goes by quickly because it's so dynamic and you're not doing loops. It's just like one big loop on the bike. 
So I'm looking forward to it. And it's pretty cool to have the opportunity to do it twice this year for two really important races. <laughs> and speaking of important races right now, the long awaited PTO Collins cup championship is scheduled to happen on August 28th in Samarin, Slovakia. And the 70.3 world championships we just mentioned is supposed to happen in St. George on September 17th. So that's two huge races, just three weeks apart. So do you know yet? Should we expect to see you targeting both of those this fall? Yeah, I'll definitely do both. It's hard to say which one is more important. Um, the Collins Cup is obviously a new thing, and there's a lot of hype behind it. It'll be a really exciting event, and I definitely want to be there to you know, support that whole like initiative with the PTO. Um, but it obviously would be super cool to win a world title or to be on the podium at a world championship, so that is another focus. And my, I don't think there's going to be a ton of races this year. Like my goal is to arrive to that point of the season, not being totally mentally exhausted or physically exhausted from a f- big season of racing. I think I'll be pretty selective with what I race and try to take a break sometime in June or July to be a little more fresh for, for that time of year. And yeah, I think three weeks is enough time to travel back and get over jet lag and, and race well in two different continents. Um, yeah, it all depends how you like treat recovery and just be really diligent about making sure I, you know, sleep enough between those two races. And I trust my coach a lot. So I do whatever he says. And I think it works most of the time. (laughs) Well, Paula, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. We will look forward to watching you race in St. George, hopefully. And then also to Sunday, the next um, TTL vlog drop. So, and and hopefully merch coming in a couple of weeks. So thank you so much and keep recovering well from Miami. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Good talking to you. Hey, feisty folks. Jamila here, the feisty team community innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the feisty team to help you all stay feisty, no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests. Big sponsor discounts, swag, and monthly prizes. Challenges to stay motivated. A community of feisty, like-minded friends. Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash ironwomen and get started. Haley, I have to say that if Paula and Eric can make a video or a make a vlog, not even a video blog, or yeah, a video blog vlog. <laughs> every week, then surely I can get back on the wagon with my Instagram and step up my game a little bit again, maybe even make a reel. I think I can do this. I'm inspired. A reel. I don't even know. I'm like, what is a reel? (laughs) That's like the Instagram TikTok thing. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. Basically. I, I had one of my athletes who said I should do like a day in the life and on, but I was like, you know, I did that like a year ago for Iron Women, for when we had the Iron Women account, which is now Feisty Triathlon. 
And it was a lot more work than I expected. That's why I was when, I, you know, that question, it was like, I, you know, Paula, I can see where like some of these things that they, they look really beautiful, but you can tell a lot of work goes into it. So hats off to, to Paula and Eric for, for putting out, you know, incredibly beautiful content. And it, we know that is not hard, but I are not easy. <laughs> it is hard. And it, it, I'm glad it's paying off for them. You know, I am glad that they are seeing some return from that, but yeah, I'm excited to see your reel. You're real this week. <laughs> I gonna... think I've made, maybe I have made two, but I think maybe if I've only made one, it's definitely a reel of Ramona stuff. So <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I feel like, or no, I made one reel of Ramona and then I think I did make a reel maybe around the new year where I like picked things from last year and I put those together in a reel and that actually turned out really good. It's just, it is time consuming and I'm, you know, I'm not like great at it. So it's like, have you done, you did the day in the life last year, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. It's, did you like that? Um, I wish, I mean, I think it is fun, but it's also, it is hard. Like when you're doing other stuff, you know, to like add something else and you don't want to do it like half-assed, right? Like you want to do it well and like put in, you know, people are going to watch it. So you want to make it good content for people to like see and like whatever. So it's hard. It's, you know, I like doing it, it, but I, again, it is hard to balance with training and coaching and everything else to do. Yeah. I was riding my bike, my commuter bike the other day and it was like a snowstorm and it was like blowing sideways and I was so cold and I was like, oh, this would be great if I got it on video. Everyone would be so impressed. But it's also like, I am way too cold. Like I need every molecule in my body getting me toward home and getting me toward warmth. Like the even thought of like pulling over and pulling out my phone and like trying to film it. I'm like, I'm just going to end up like throwing my phone in a creek, which I have done recently. So I'm like, I don't need to do that again. And a lot of times you need a third person or a second person, I guess, to get like the shot of you, you know? So like I did actually get like one of those tripods and that has helped me a little bit, be able to take some shots that I can't on my own. And, um, but again, it's like you said, it's stopping everything in that time to be able to set that up. Then you like have to fake your way through the shop because now it's not real life anymore. Cause you set up your tripod and you're doing it right. So it's like, you need an intern. I know. <laughs> Or I need or, Ramona to get or, some thumbs. Oh, but yeah, if Cowboy had thumbs, I'm asking him to get me coffee before yeah. I ask him to take me pictures, pictures of myself. I ask him that every morning. I'm like, would you go get me some coffee, please, please? But no, no luck yet. But Alyssa, I'm so happy for you and you're running and I am excited to hear about it progressing over the next weeks. Keep, you know, slow, slow and steady is great but one minute on one minute off you are on your way congratulations and um so many other good things but definitely definitely looking forward to following this progress for the next couple weeks and hey we're even closer to like you and i in-person reunion happening sometime 2020x i see it (laughs) we're getting there Haley. enjoy being half vaccinated through this week and i'll catch up with you again next week bye Alyssa. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.